Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for December 28th is Revelation chapters 1 through 5. There's a lot in these chapters, so we're not going to go super deep, but for a deeper dive, check out the series that Michael Mishkin and I started last year on this book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's his plan. It's who he is. It's what he's done and what he's going to do in the future. And how does all of that affect us as believers, even as unbelievers? What is going to happen in the future? There are lots of different opinions about this book. Some people believe it's all history. Some people believe it's all future. Some people believe it's a mix. And that is the most likely case in my opinion. John was exiled to an isle of Patmos, a deserted isle in the Mediterranean Sea. Because of his gospel, he wasn't left there forever. Obviously, this letter made it off, and so did he. He was eventually martyred, probably shortly after he wrote this letter. There is lots of symbolism. The number seven comes up a lot. Remember that seven is a number of completion, of perfection, of things being as they should be. So it's not to say that there were only seven churches or only seven angels around those churches, but it's likely God is giving us a picture of the completion of all believers from the beginning of time, perhaps. Maybe it's the beginning of the church in Acts. Some people believe the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 refer to these different time periods that the church would go through. In that case, perhaps it's the seven different time periods that believers go through on their journey to maturity. I don't think the last 2,000 years, plus however many years we have until the return of Jesus Christ, is necessarily broken up into seven different eras. Some people believe it's seven different geographies of the church. Some people would say it's the literal seven churches that existed in those seven cities that are listed. I think the most likely interpretation or lens through which we look at these is to apply all of them to ourselves and say this is seven different pictures of how the body of Christ walks in its faith. One thing is for sure, we should allow Scripture to interpret the Scripture. So we don't have to wonder and hypothesize about what the seven golden lampstands are or what the seven stars are, we're told outright in chapter 1, verse 20, that the stars are the angels, and the lampstands are the churches. Now, keep in mind also the teaching on ecclesia from Matthew 16, 18, that a church does not refer to a building, and it's not just a specific people group in the sense that anybody can start a church. It refers to the government of heaven being given to people like you and me, that we are ambassadors, that we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we are to be bringing forth the laws and edicts of the kingdom of heaven and enforcing them on the earth, that in this spiritual war we are in, 
We are to be advancing the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. We are not literally taking physical ground for the kingdom of heaven. We are not literally waging war against other people, but our weapons of warfare are prayer and spiritual gifts. We are not fighting against men and women in camouflage with M16s or AK-47s. We are not fighting people at all. We are fighting spiritual forces behind them and within them, perhaps. It is all about the spirit realm for now. For the let, there are some common themes between these letters to the churches. And in each one, at the end of each letter, to the one who conquers, a promise is made. The churches are also commended for their good things that they're doing and encouraged to do better in other areas. The church of Ephesus is told that they have forgotten their first love. Go back and have the zeal that you had at first. This applies to most every believer. Are you as on fire today as you were the moment or the day after you became a believer when you were first born again? Remember that zeal, that love you had, and go back to that. For the one who conquers or overcomes, you will be given the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the garden, or the paradise of God. It's supernatural spirit food for the spirit man, and we will only have completely overcome or conquered when we are no longer in this flesh. So it's a spiritual promise to your spirit man within you. The church in Smyrna will endure persecution, and the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. They can take your body, they can kill your body, but they cannot throw your soul in the place of the dead. To the church in Pergamum, to the one who conquers, Jesus says, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, I will put a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Close friends have secrets. Jesus says to the one who overcomes, you will be given special food, spiritual food, and you'll be given a secret with a new name, like an identity, just for you from him. To the church at Thyatira, or Thyatira, I have this against you. You have tolerated that woman, Jezebel. Obviously, it can't be physical Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. She died thousands of years ago, but the spirit that was at work within her seeks to control, wants to murder those who speak the truth. But the one who conquers or overcomes and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Jesus will share his authority that he is 
meekly delaying the grasp of even now. To the angel of the church in Sardis, people think you're alive, but you're dead. These are false believers. These are the people to whom Jesus will say, I never knew you. Get away from me. If you don't know him, and you just know about him, if you don't love him, if you haven't been changed by him, you have a problem. You might be falling into this category. But the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. They will be made righteous. White clothing is a picture symbol of being cleansed. And if you have those white clothes, your name will never be erased from the book of life. To the church in Philadelphia, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. That reminds me a lot of the church today. They love the Lord. We love the Lord. And so many of us have such little power. There's oh so much more available for those who are willing to go deeper. And the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. He is fashioning together a spiritual house. We are his temple, and we are being fashioned together like living stones, Peter writes. What does a pillar do? It holds up the roof. It's a permanent structure. We have the opportunity, if we conquer, if we overcome in this world, to become a permanent fixture, holding up the roof, part of the infrastructure of the temple of the Most Holy God. And the church of Laodicea, like many believers today, are neither hot nor cold. Jesus says it would be better if you were hot or cold. But because you're neither, you're just lukewarm, I will vomit or spit you out of my mouth. It's a dire warning to us, to all believers. We're either with him or we are against him. And the very worst ones are those who say they are with him, but they don't really walk in a manner worthy of the calling they've received. We can't be Christians and continue on like the world, walking in sin. You can't be a Christian and not be changed. We must walk as Jesus did or face his wrath. But to the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the one who is no longer lukewarm, but sacrifices what needs to be sacrificed and crucifies his own flesh or hers, to that one who overcomes in this life, who conquers, the flesh, will be given the right to sit at his right hand, just as Jesus conquered and sat down at the right hand of the Father. In chapter 4, John sees the throne room of heaven. He sees four living creatures. Think about what these creatures represent. It's not likely that they were physically, literally covered in eyeballs. Instead, what does the eye represent? They were all seeing. They could see all the different facets of creation, 
in the spirit realm and in the physical. And because they could see all of the different ways God was moving and all of the different aspects of who God is, they had no other job yet to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For all creation, sometimes I hear people complain about singing the same couple of words in church for five minutes, ten minutes. And it's so boring, I've heard people say. These living creatures around the throne of God have been crying out, holy, 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 the same one word for all of creation, for eons. Because they see the glory of the Almighty God. Perhaps if we are bored in worship, our focus is not what it should be. In chapter 5, the Lamb takes the scroll. The scroll represents the destiny of things to come. It could represent ownership and or the fulfillment of a promise. Likely, it also represents the inheritance from God the Father to His Son, authority, ownership, power, and glory. Yet no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. It brings John to tears until the Lamb, the perfect Lamb who was slain for the sin of the world, comes forward and is able to unseal, receive ownership of that scroll and all that is in with and all and because he is worthy, he receives worship. Thousands upon thousands crying out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered or slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living, all-seeing creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped. Let us also fall down and worship. We will be doing that someday. But we don't have to wait. We can do it right now. And may God bless you as you seek Him. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.